We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. We can talk about shareholder activism. Shareholder activism is, to me, kind of weird. I don't know how you stand on this, and I'd love your feedback. Rob at robblackshow.com. Rob at robblackshow.com. An activist like Carl Icahn could take a position in a company like Apple and say... I think it looks too expensive. No, no. I think it looks too cheap. I think they should buy back shares. I think they should give more money to shareholders via dividends. And next thing you know, he's on CNBC and he's talking about it. Next thing you know, he's putting pressure on the CEO. I'm going to have lunch with him. Next thing you know, the stock's higher and he's made some money. Is he active? Is he being an activist for you, or is he being an activist for himself? 2016, it's expected that shareholder activism is going to hit its uh, peak in 2015 and start going down in 2016. Um, factors that may include why it slows down. Uh, you seem like people like Bill Ackman take huge billion-dollar bets on companies like Herbalife, where he's an activist. He says, "I think this company is evil, and I think it's a pyramid scheme." I think it's going to go lower. Billion dollar bets. And they get in front of the media and like they're kind of like rock stars. Or since I don't really like opera, they're kind of like opera stars. Um, Declines in activist hedge fund inflows and the number of attractive targets as well as the possibility of higher U.S. interest rates seem to be the things that will kill off activists. The decline is already being seen with the third quarter of 2015. Uh, where it dropped $121 billion in activist hedge fund assets under management, AUM. That was down from the second quarter. So people with money, they're saying, hey, Carl Icahn, I trust you. You're the richest man in New York City. Here's $100 million. What can you do with it? And he goes and he like looks around and looks around and looks around. And he's like, Apple looks cheap. 
and you know if they keep this up, blah 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 blah, da 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 da, crunch the numbers, two hundred and thirty dollars stock. Um, so I'm not a big fan of activist shareholders. Um, and I guess it's the right way to say that is shareholder activism. I'm not a big fan because the whole to me of getting on TV, the idea of it, and saying this is why I like something. This is why I don't like something. Oh, and by the way, I have an interest in it. Um, it it's a little bit of a problem. I try to disclose with you every time that I have do a story on Apple, or at least once a day, that I own shares of Apple. I'm not an activist for the company in any way, shape, or form. I tend to talk about the technology of it. Um, I tend to give you what other analysts are thinking of it. But anyway, long story short. Uh, shareholder activism should slow down in 2016, higher interest rate environment being one of the reasons why. Um, let's talk about some of the myths that are out there. I think it's kind of important that we help each other with things that we know and things that we don't know. And the whole how do we get to retirement argument it's it's pretty easy. You need to start saving money. You need to give yourself time. You need to have a budget. You need to have goals. And you kind of need to massage all the three of those things again. Um, a lot of people, you know, one of the biggest myths about saving is, you know, it's important to get a job and to start saving for retirement the minute you're out of college. And I don't think that's true. Um, to me, it's about getting some life experiences, and some of those life experiences are going to Europe and using a credit card and getting into debt, and then coming back and saying, oh, God, I'll, I'll never do that again. Um, I think it's more important to spend time thinking about what you want to do with your life and your earning potential. It's kind of the thinking where you should have some anxiety. How much money do you want to make? How much money will you make in your career? How much, you know, what are your goals? So I don't think you have to get a job immediately, but I do think you have to figure out what you want in life sooner rather than later. I'd say as late as your mid-20s, as early as your early 20s, but if you want to goof off a little bit, now that's the time to do it. A friend of mine heard him and, uh, well, okay, let me correct this. A friend of mine, her ex-husband, went to Hawaii and uh, worked as a, a bellhop with his best friend. So two guys go to Hawaii after college. They have their degrees in hand, and they decide to be bellhops. And they kind of got it out of their system. Another myth out there that we need to debunk is getting a credit card right out of school is dangerous. And I, I don't think that's the truth. I think you should get a credit card when you're 18, maybe even 17. But it should be a secured credit card that mommy and daddy pay for. They give you $500, they put it in the account. You go to get a latte, you swipe it, you use it. It's your credit card, both names are on it. You kind of get the practice of, of using it. I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, it's bad when suddenly you're 23 and you get a you know credit card with $1,000 on it and you're like, woohoo, groceries! I'm going to flay at night. So I think parents, if you are bad parents... I can't control that. But one area that I can control is, say, you know, like 
help your kids with a credit card, a secured credit card. Maybe you want to wait till college versus high school. That's fine. Um, and that'll help build the credit, and that'll get them in a position later in life to buy a car cheaper, to buy a house cheaper. And maybe they won't need you for the help on the house or the help on the car. Um, you know, some people get credit cards as early as like 12. Um, I think it's good for in the long run. <laughs> I know it sounds a little crazy, but developing a credit score that has life on it, um, the longer you use credit, the more respect the credit unions have for you. There's a myth out there also that the American dream involves buying a house. I think that's hokey. Um, don't buy a house. It depends ultimately on where you live. But nowadays, it often makes a lot more sense to rent than to buy. It goes back to values. Are you at a stage in your life when you're really going to enjoy being a homeowner versus having the idea implanted as something you have to do by you know, your parents or the U.S. government? Or where did we get this American dream thing? People in their 20s don't have a lot of responsibilities. And that should be leveraged. This is the time of your life where you can go out and find a career. You can go out and find the right job. You can do something along the lines of, you've heard Hollywood actors say it all the time, I lived in a car. I lived in a, a um, storage unit. If you don't you know, have a lot of money, you're unattached. Time is valuable time. Um, I think it's riskier to buy a home in your early 20s when you don't really know what you're going to do. You don't know a lot of if you want kids or no kids, if you want to settle down, if you want to live in a big city or not. Anyway, there's a lot of myths out there. You have to look at it that way. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. So one headline that I recently saw, and this is, it's so useful for you to try to see things in different perspectives, in different lights. Macy's drops to a 52-week low while Amazon hits an all-time high. What's that all about? It's all about me. When I was a child, I remember, you know, playing on the playground with kids and, you know, Ford stood for found on road dead when we talk about cars. Uh, there was a car called a Pinto, which I don't know who made it. I don't know anything about it. But Pinto stood for put a new transmission often. Um, now, when you use that headline... You know, Macy's drops to a 52-week low, Amazon an all-time high. So I'm on the playground. I'm talking, you know, with, you know, friends about Fords. And 
there was 1980s. Uh, I'm starting to become, you know, high school, college time. And uh, that's when, like, movies like Gung Ho came out. And there was, there was fears in America that the Japanese were buying up all the real estate in, you know, New York and Seattle. Um, people were freaked out. People were really freaked out. And just to even say it now, the Japanese, uh, it sounds hilarious. Like, not good. Hilarious. Like, whoa. So, where does this go? Um, I think it goes somewhere. Okay, it goes back to the playground. Okay, I had this image in my head, found on road, dead. And on Ford, American cars. I had an image in my head, Japanese made better cars in America because of the movie Gung Ho. The Japanese were successful because they were buying all the real estate in New York and Seattle. Like, they bought the Seattle Mariners. They, once again, showing you just how crazy it was back then. Um... Or how easy of a trap it is to fall into. So I never bought an American car. Um, to this day, I don't think I ever have. I've never bought a foot. That's right. So something in my head got me convinced. Don't do American. Um, you can do a truck. You know, you can do a Pathfinder. You can, but not American. You can do a Highlander, you're not American. So something very early in life told me, and it branded me. So now I see, and wait, wait, for the record, um, there was a point in time where I had a foreign car. I think I had a Nissan Pathfinder. And I went to see a girlfriend in kind of rural Pennsylvania. And I was probably the only guy. I was probably the only driver driving a Japanese-made vehicle. I'm not being honest with you. Let's see, you go into a parking lot, and it kind of stood out. And if I were to have a conversation with my dad, he'd probably like, you should have bought American, you know, American jobs. And I'm like, no, 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 dad. I'm smarter than you. I'm a more reliable vehicle. Um, but was I right or was I wrong? I'll be honest with you. I, don't, I, I still don't have the answer on that. I think life is full of compromises. But let's go back to the headline. Macy's drops to a 52-week low. Amazon hits an all-time high. If I were to talk to a millennial today, I'd be like, can't you just go to a mall, give a little foot traffic? Do you really have to be jumping on Amazon.com and Amazon Prime and having everything delivered to you? Keep in mind, I'm a millennial at heart. Um, I don't like paying for... I don't like seeing people at gas stations. They're just like sliding my cart, sliding out, pump the gas and get in the car and run as fast as I can. So this generation is, is, is doing something to hurt America, much like my generation did something to hurt America. Um, and the ramifications will be big. And the ramifications will be, you know, more poor people. Um, because the people at Macy's who are spraying you with perfume, those are not high-paying jobs, but those are jobs. It's something as a society we're going to have to, like, figure out and think about. I'm not going to tell you exactly you know, my thoughts, because I don't know if I have exact thoughts on this. But when you see Macy's at a 52-week low, Amazon at an all-time high, it does tell you something. And a couple quarters ago, the CEO of Macy's was talking about, like, why she said, you know, why aren't sales better? And she goes, kids today are buying iPhones. They're not buying new clothes. Kids today are buying fast fashion. Uh, H&M, 
H&M, if you go into a store today and you see a top that you really like, you buy it because it's not going to be there in two weeks. It's going to be off the shelf. So companies like Macy's have to do markdowns, which, again, how much of a markdown is it really? Like if they buy a shirt for $10, they buy it wholesale, $10, and they put a price of $20 on it, and they mark it down to 12 Is that really a markdown? Not as much, but anyway, consumers are going to have a field day with this kind of mentality of Amazon versus Macy's. And uh, it's just worthy of note. Just worthy of note. My generation, we pissed off our dads because we knew, you know, Japanese cars were more reliable than Detroit. And we saw Detroit in general matters. General Motors go bankrupt. Like, we, we saw that. Chrysler. We saw the, the problems that Detroit had. Um, the reliable K car. So recently I've been talking, I talked about some of the myths in when it comes to, you know, starting with money and investing. There's one of them is once you graduate, immediately try to build up an emergency cash fund. Once you graduate, emergency fund, emergency fund, emergency fund, emergency fund. I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway on that one. I think people have way too much anxiety about emergency funds. Um, if you have a 401k through your job and start putting money in, if something crazy happens, that money will be there, even if you have to pay a penalty. That is, by default, a penalty, an emergency fund. Is it a good one? No. Nope. It's the truth. It's pretty pragmatic. When you're young, a lot of decisions that you come across are short-term risky, like using a 401k as an emergency fund, but the long-term benefit outweighs it. I do want you to get a slow, steady, you know, step towards light kind of pacing when it comes to investing, when it comes to handling money. And the final myth that I want to talk about is investing is difficult and stocks are sexy. It's actually really simple to manage your money, but a lot of people have agendas and they have product to sell. I would never work with a stockbroker. I would never, ever work with an insurance agent. There's a lot of noise and very little signal. So people, you know, you got to check them out. And if you don't know who you're working with, like someone works with LPL Financial, like, why do you need that middleman? You don't. You should use TD Ameritrade. You should use Schwab. You should use Fidelity. You should use Vanguard. Uh, For long-term investing, put money in index funds on a recurring basis. Go back to living your life. Go back to being young. Go back to making social mistakes. You don't need a financial helper to do that. If productivity increases, the economy does well, then barring nuclear war and an asteroid hitting the planet, you'll compound your money for the rest of your life. Good diversified index funds or ETFs, the way to start for most young people. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on 
on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. You have a 401k, right? I don't think you have to get too fancy with your 401k. I think you can get some real estate in it, some realty, with a CGM realty fund, ticker salt and bull CGMRX. You can get, you know, uh, communication stocks, telecommunications, if, you know, that's what you like. Last 10 years, they've averaged about 14%. Last five, about 16% with the T. Rowe Price Media and Telecommunications Fund, PRMTX. Biotech is very volatile. It's very growthy. You've seen the Fidelity Select Biotech Portfolio, FBIOX, in the last year averaged 12.5%, three years 35%, five years 32%, 10 years 17%. It's way better than you can do in real estate or in stocks or in um, stocks, but it's, it's the riskiest part of stocks. I think you want some mid-cap stocks. They're pretty generic. Um, Pioneer Select Mid-Cap, PSMKX, PSMKX. Um, I think you could do really, really nicely with that. I think healthcare is, it doesn't seem to be getting cheaper. You can hear I've got a little bit of a scratchy voice. Uh, going to run to the doctor, and he's going to probably say, oh, you got strep or something's wrong with you, and uh, here's a prescription, and see you later. And he's going to bill my insurance, and he's going to bill me, and... Happily on we go. There's something called low price stocks, and I tend to. Um, I don't want you to own penny stocks, but I don't want you to, to not own companies that have value. So you're, what you're looking for is value funds. Um, I think there's always war. It's always going to be a business as long as I live. Um, whether it's good or bad, the, the Perkins Small Cap Fund, ticker symbol JDS and X. Last five years, it's averaged about 9.8%. In the last 10 years, about 8.5%. That's not great, but it's also for some of you who are uh, a little weary. It's not bad. Anyway, with that said, let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Now joining me today, CFP, Chad Burton. How are you? Excellent, Rob. What does the CFP do? Oh, boy. What's well, it stand for? Certified Financial Planner. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, you get to have you go through five courses essentially: taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. You have to take a test in each course before you can move on to the next one, and then you take a ten-hour final exam. Really, ten hours? Yeah. Now, when I did it, was given over two days. Now I've heard they've they're doing it over one day now, but um, it's fifty-five percent pass rate nationally. Okay. So you get a lot of disappointed people after the first try. And do they usually get right second try? Like SATs. I remember when I went to high school many, many, many years ago, you got to blend your scores. You got to take your best math and your best English. Does that sound right? Someone was asking me. I don't even remember taking the SATs. You probably didn't. You were a gifted athlete. You you got to ride (laughs) your way into college. Uh, No. It's – you do get a – yes, you do get to take it again. Okay. So – but do people pass? I, I passed it on the first time. I've got five CFPs. All but one of them passed it on the first time. Okay. Um, 
And then, so it's given, I think, every November and then every six months. If you fail it a second time, I believe there's some other rules. I haven't looked at it, honestly, lately for, for a while in terms of how many times you can fail it and then how long you have to wait next time. But once you do pass the test, you cannot use the designations yet. Okay. You have to have three years working experience, and now you have to have a degree. A three years working experience, not at Seven Eleven. No, you have to have in the business. Okay, so like a para planner. Para planner, yeah, associate advisor. Okay. Yep, you got it. Now, with that said, what's the difference between a CFP and like a stockbroker or a financial? Um, you know, someone at Solomon Smith Barney calls himself a first vice president or something. They like have that. vice president of the southeast region of Kansas City. <laughs> something like that. Bogus. Yeah. Bogus, but people don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. The vice president thing is a, it's ridiculous in this industry. I'm vice president of Salem Radio. <laughs> <laughs> right now, this hour, Whoops. we're both vice president, right? Um, <laughs> Difference between a broker. And Are CFP. there even stockbrokers left anymore? I mean, when I was in the yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, there we go. That's, that's right. and I, there's there, my alarm. There's actually other people that I know in the industry. Um, I know people on my street who use Ameriprise financial planners. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's the worst thing you could do. Let me give you a story okay. of that one. And sure. uh, so somebody I did very close to the family um, finally pulling the trigger on retirement. I said, well, at least let me look at what you have. I don't, I don't like taking on friends and family. Of course not. As, and I understand that. Yeah, because the last thing I want to do. Expectations are unrealistic. Not only that, but it dominates the conversation. Okay. So – Barbecuing, putting some steaks on, having a couple of beers. I don't want to talk money on the weekends. You know, I I do it 60 hours a week. So I said, well, at least let me look at who you're working with, because I, I, I based on some of the things that I'd heard, I was like this just doesn't sound right. And the advisor was saying, yeah, you can retire. Go ahead and retire. You're going to be fine. And the reason why is because they were a commission based advisor, and they were going to get paid five six percent of the rollover amount. Ah, so it's like a 401k, 403b. So, I mean, they see this big rollover amount, so they will blow smoke in places that you don't want them to blow smoke because they're doing it because that's when they get paid is that initial rollover. They get paid all up front because they're commission-based advisors. And unfortunately, some CFP, certified financial planners, are also commission-based. And I think that there's a big push in our industry to not allow that. Um, so because our industry, really, most of the certified financial planners act as fiduciaries, we Force, we, we set up a firm so that we're acting in the best interest of the client, putting the client first, charging either hourly fees, flat fees, or annual fees based on what we're managing. And in this situation, the guy was going to tell her to retire too soon because he was so looking forward to this big commission check on the rollover, on loaded mutual funds that are A shares, annuities that had seven, eight-year surrender charges, um, and, you know, yeah, you might be okay on your income next 10, 15 years, but once inflation kicks in and you realize that you're not able to keep up with the value of the dollar, which over time is cut in half every 18 years, it was setting this person up for a retirement that once they get into the mid-80s, their lifestyle drastically declines. And if they ever have any kind of health care cost issues, like long-term care, home health care needs, they were going to be in a horrible position. People can find you at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Huh. Should you ever buy a house that you can't afford? 
I think that's always an interesting question. I like interesting questions, you know, in part. Uh, if you and your lover, if you and your, if Romeo and Juliet are separated by a river, and there's a terrible, terrible storm that comes and knocks out all the, 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 the boats, and there's a pirate in the middle of the, the, the river, and he offers the Juliet, hey, I'll take you across, but you have to, you know, do something with me. You know what I'm implying with that. She goes, no, I'll give you gold. Is he right for asking for that? Is he wrong? For, there's no more boats. Is like right and wrong has like anyway. Same question here. Should you ever buy more house than you can afford? A mortgage can strain your budget. Now it's going to be a lighter burden in a few years if you get job promotions, right? Young professionals willing to stretch their budgets now. Consider, you know, doing it if you can be super frugal to make up for it. And that's the question. Like, do you have enough money to service the debt no matter what? Do you have enough to service the debt on the house by eating ramen noodles and not going out and not hearing music and canceling your Spotify? So if you're a new professional and you're, you know, wanting to get into a home, interest rates are amazing. They're amazing right now. And when you lock in a 30-year mortgage, you're going to have it for 30 years. That's one of the reasons I'm pretty optimistic on the United States in the next 10, 15 years is the loans that we've done in the last five, six years have been pretty solid loans. Now, some of them have been chasing markup prices, um, of which, again, I bought a home six, seven years ago, and it's, it's, its price is marked up so much, I don't think it ever moves up in value. But I'm okay with that. Um, so should you overextend yourself? And the question is, can you like and buy a fixer-upper and then not be able to afford to fix it up for a couple of years and invite your friends over? And they go, whoa, what's up with a hole in the wall? Um, and you go, well, I'm going to fix it up when I can afford it. I don't know. Do you see how there's no right answers? There's just compromises? I hope you do. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One question that I get all the time is, when interest rates get hiked, who's the winner? It's typically the regional banks, in my opinion. There's an index that covers the KBW Bank Index. Um, its ticker symbol is BKX. BKX. Um, I think it's worth taking a look at. Um, you could also buy into um, Treasury yield funds that reflect it. Um, consumer staples such as tobacco and food. Anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I'm Rob Black. Black and your money on 
on AM 1220 KDOW. On the iHeart Radio app. I always feel bad for you, the average person out there. In the sense that I think there's a lot of information out there that's really tough to process. And what I mean by that is I think this is a market, not a market, I think this is a business that has, I'm not going to call them charlatans, but I find that I don't think people are sometimes who they, they pretend to be. I see some, okay, I'll give you a great example. When I got in the industry 20 years ago, there was a guy who was really a smart talker, really a smart talker, and he said he had his Series 65 and um, wanted to do business, and you know he liked me and I liked him, and I worked for a guy who was crazy, a guy who, when I say crazy, I mean crazy. He would come in and he'd be like, I don't need help with you picking stocks because God tells me what to buy. The moment he told me that, I'm like, okay, here's my two weeks. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, because I hope, my hope is that, you know, God is a, a merciful God, but that he doesn't know the difference between Cisco, the networking company, and Cisco, the trucking company. But that's just me. And uh, so I worked with a guy. And, uh, you know, we talked about the company together. And I said, before I do this, I, I need to kind of see your resume. And, uh, you know, college here, you know, worked here. Some of it I could just check and go, okay, I know that, I know that. But I checked on his college degree. And guess what? I didn't really have it. I don't think it's a bad thing to consider. Um... But I think a lot of people don't ever, you know, check up on like, why is this guy telling me to buy an annuity? I just worked for the, you know, the state of California for 30 years, and here's my lump sum pension, $600,000, and he wants me to buy a, an annuity. What's in it for him? Should be the question. First and foremost, never sign anything, and never let anyone say things like, "Oh, you're making a big financial mistake." to you, or, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it. If anyone ever tells you there's guarantees, they're lying. You know, I could tell you that if you look back at last 100 years on the stock market, it's gone up 7 out of 10 years, hit all-time highs. I, I, I'm i good with that. Um, actually, it's about 85 years for that number. But I can't guarantee it'll do it again in the future. I could say there's a high likelihood because you confuse the stock market with gambling when you should really confuse the stock market with capitalism. And, you know, if you've been growing your business for 10 straight years and then let's say your business is um, IT consulting on desktops and then there's this big shift to mobile and you're not growing your business anymore, you may cut back on what you pay yourself, you may cut back employees' hours, you may fire employees, you may cut back benefits. Companies tend to react. They don't tend to go, okay, well, I'm just going to keep spending as I was and everything will be great. There's very, very few examples of that. 
again, it's something you got to start working with in your own head. A couple things that I want you to do when you're younger and when you're older is start thinking about retirement. What are you going to do those first six to 12 months of not working? I've got a friend whose dad kind of lost his job a little early and, you know, got a little bit fatter. Um, spent a lot more money. Had to go back to work. So you need to start thinking about a budget for now. There's a good website called mint.com. It'll take you a good 20 minutes a month to work, to look back and go, honey, did we eat at Hula Burgers? And she'll go, nope. And then you know you got some fraud on your account. Mint.com does a nice job of pulling in all your banking accounts. Does a nice job of uh, showing you restaurants versus you know uh, mortgage payments. And you tells you how much of your budget's going to what. But you need to have a good budget when you hit retirement. You probably need to have a good budget today. Take a look at your cost of health care. Um, you know, I remember 20 plus years ago when I'm doing my first job and uh, health care, you know, was included. You don't even think about it. But then when you get in your 30s and 40s, you start going, oh my goodness, I spent a lot of money on this. Um, you're going to spend more in retirement than you think just because there's Medicare, Medicaid, Medi-Cal. Um, they have thresholds that you need to hit as well. For people who haven't refinanced their mortgage in the last 10 years, you should do it. Mortgage rates are at incredible lows right now, and they should start moving up slowly in the next three. As you head towards retirement, I think you should consider um, always changing your, your strategies. Don't think they're like, oh, I bought tech stocks. I did really well with tech stocks. I'm going to do really well with tech stocks again. I think that would be a bit of a mistake. Um, I've seen people really go down. They confuse sometimes bull market and tech stocks or bull market and stocks with being smart. And they're very two different things. Don't forget when you start heading towards retirement or in retirement, write a will. If you live in the state of California and own property, get a trust. Uh, look at where your sources of income are going to come in retirement. Start figuring out before you retire so you don't have to go back to work. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, and uh, Facebook, Cron4 Rob Black. <laughs>